going to be looking at Cold War from 2018. It's directed by Pavel Pavlikovsky, and it's the story of two lovers and their tumultuous relationship set against the backdrop of communist Poland. And it's loosely based on the relationship of his parents, as I understand it. Yeah, I didn't know that until after I'd watched it. Hopefully not. The dedication is to his parents, isn't it? Yeah. No, no, he said in an interview that um, they were fantastic as parents and musicians and people, but they just couldn't get on. They were terrible as a couple, apparently. Yeah, I think they had uh, that sort of huge separations and then they got back together in later life when they were both ill. And I think jumping straight to the end of the film, the sequence where they make a suicide pact that's actually based on fact. That's Oh, really? Yeah, yeah his parents did kill themselves oh, okay. together when they were both very ill later in life. Um, that's, yeah, as I understand it. Feels a bit odd to be talking about this one. It's um, it's still pretty current, isn't it? It's current, and it's also it must be the best known of all the films that we've talked about thus far. Yeah. Um, it just, but I find it surprising that it's just sort of sitting on the edge of Amazon Prime. You know that it isn't kind of more. I don't know. Still in. I just don't hear anybody talking about it or recommending it. Lots of people have said that they want to see it, right? But not many people actually have. I had the opposite thing. I had um, a couple. Well, not a lot of people, but you know, a couple of other film fans yeah, had I'm seen saying it. A lot of people. I only know like <laughs> two or three other people. Yeah. Yeah. The two people you know. Yeah, that's it. Um, but well, one of those uh, is virtual. <laughs> I had like a couple of people um, saw it way before me. I didn't. I didn't uh, get to see it in the cinema. Although I do get points because I did go and see his previous film, Ida, in the cinema, so I feel a bit smug about that. Um, but I missed this one, but I knew that I would like it um, and bought it on Blu-ray. All right, okay. And, yeah, eventually got around to watching it. Um, actually, it was after you'd seen it and mm. you'd put up your fulsome recommendation on social media. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought, yeah, I've, finally I've got to do this. So I watched it and it was fantastic. Yeah, it's really good, isn't it? Yeah. This, this leads me to... Mm. If we're going to sort of vaguely go through it chronologically, I'm going to start at the very beginning of the film, so I've got a question, right? Oh, yeah, okay. This is a film by a director who's already won an Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film for Ida back in 2013. Why is it so difficult for somebody to get funding for a film when you've won an Oscar? Like, if you look at the opening credits of this film, you've got nine different logos. Yeah, that's it. And then following on, you've got another 12 production companies listed. Yeah, you'd think they'd be able to single source it. But I guess yeah. that's maybe the you know the non-Hollywood landscape. It does just require... Because I think the budget was three and something million euros. Yeah. And I think you just have to piece that together. To get that from a single source, you know, I, I just think that's, that's pretty tough. I think people will fund stages of development. They'll fund stages of... Pre pre-production, but it seems crazy though because some of the names involved, you've got MK two in there, yeah, sure. and you've got the BFI, and I know for a fact that the BFI can fund films up to you know one two million pounds. Yeah, yeah. It's just it it feels like it feels a bit crazy sometimes. You look, it's like did you did you have a whip round in the pub or something, and everyone put a tenner in? Yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? Because when you look at the film and the quality of the film, you'd kind yeah. of hope that you know these are the films that should be balancing out the cinematic landscape when you go to the uh, the multiplex it should be sort of 50 50 yeah and these films are the ones that should be profiting from you know the blockbusters but i just don't see that there's that sort of i don't know communist uh, you know sharing of the pot mm. for filmmakers out there especially to get to a budget of that kind of level i think maybe if you were doing something low budget 500 grand or something you could probably single source the funding but I think once you sort of get to this kind of level of ambition, mm. you're just going to have to piece it together. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's my gripe out of the way. Okay. Should we start Too film? many credits. <laughs> yeah. Uh, referring back to Ida, now I think that has a loose autobiographical connection as well, doesn't it? Because Pavlikowski was raised Catholic, is a Catholic, um, but found out that his maternal grandmother was Jewish and died in the concentration camps. Oh, okay. So I think maybe a spoiler for Ida but I think you know him going back to Poland after spending so long in the UK I think is about looking at his roots um it's a difficult one to talk about this one for me not not for emotion emotional or dramatic reasons just um because it's one of those films that seems perfectly formed yeah, yeah. you can't really prize it open in any way it's 
No, I think it's, it's almost like you just sort of look at it and go, isn't it good? You yeah. know? Isn't this scene good? Isn't that scene good? Yeah, That's and, how it felt when I was watching it. I was just really blown away. Yeah, I, I broke it down. Like My notes are broken down into different aspects, like photography and performances and character and stuff ticks, like that. just tick, tick, but, tick. But everything... It's one of those films that seems to have emerged like perfectly formed from yeah, a yeah. mind that's in working at absolute mm. full steam, like with every shot and yeah, every cut it. and every performance and every line perfectly formed. Yeah, yeah. It's like, where do you begin? I know. Having watched it twice now, I, I just it staggers me that it's so like disciplined in its technique, but so like light of touch. Mm. You know, it feels really unforced. Uh, I just yeah. I find it staggering. I guess if if you're approaching it chronologically, the first half an hour of the film kind of jumps at, at well, not lightning speed, but jumps really just deftly between all these establishing scenes for the relationship. Um, it opens up with uh, Victor, the lead character, and his is it his wife or just a, a yeah I think so. colleague or he he's sort of in an on-off relationship yeah, with yeah that's it you know they're Polish intellectuals so I think you know they probably wouldn't define it <laughs> no I I get the feeling that, that it's kind of like a, a long-term comfortable relationship that yep. could go any any direction at mm. any time but they're um, traveling through rural Poland um, in the winter recording traditional music kind of like sound archivists um, sound anthropologists yeah that's it well it's the communist era as well so it's about celebrating the the voice of the rural folk and you know the workers in the fields and the they're the backbone of the country and the economy so we should celebrate them you don't you don't get that from the immediate scenes though it feels i mean it's only a couple of scenes later that that, that when Kazmierczek, the guy who's driving them around, yeah, who's yeah. kind of like the representative of the state, yeah, yeah. Um, he kind of starts taking control of things. You only realise then that it's part of a kind of state-sponsored sure. project. Um, early on, it just feels like a, a little kind of collegiate university type. Sure, sure. But yeah, the, the opening scenes are really clipped, really concise, as is most of the film. Um, I thought there was a nice little nod to um, Andrei Tarkovsky in the opening and closing scenes of the film, there's uh, the derelict church in the middle of the uh, yeah, yeah. in the middle of the countryside. It felt like something from Andrei Rublev. That location in the film acts as kind of like a little sort of spiritual bed at the beginning and the yeah, end, yeah, where it brings yeah. us back to where we start. Um, I really like that little sequence in the church where um, Lech has a minor disagreement with with Victor um, and leaves and goes out and takes a pee. And then has a look around the church, but there's a. It's just again, it's one of those things where the technique is just so perfect. Where you, he's looking at the uh, kind of um, icon on the walls, kind of a ruined icon on the walls. Yeah, yeah the and then you cut, images of yeah, Christ. And... and you cut closer to the sort of texture of the peeling paint, and then cut back to him, and then you cut back to what looks like a texture, but it's actually an overhead shot of the road, mm-hmm. and a truck comes through, and that's your cut to the next scene. It was, yeah, yeah. it's just one of those things. It's like oh. That's a lot of thoughts gone into that. That's really nice. Yeah, just rolling back a little bit. I think the slight tension in the van is caused by... Um, what did yeah. you say, Kashmirik? That's his first name. I just call him Lech. Um, one of the folk songs is in the Lemko language, and then they have a discussion about it not being one of ours. So, you know, it's a more kind of provincial... But it's so uh, deft. Ukrainian. It's, but it's just so deft you get his character within exactly, yeah, one yeah. line. Yeah, He's I mean, a bigot. Yeah, there's so many great concise pieces of dialogue all the way through the film that just sum up you know they can sum up years of tension in in the relationship later on there's a scene where Zula and Victor are heading off to a Parisian party and he asks her whether he should wear a tie or not yes and she says yeah wear the tie and then the next shot is him coming up <laughs> with no tie with no tie like <laughs> yeah just loads of those little observations that sum everything up and that scene in the van where he's just saying you know shame it's not one of ours Lech is kind of he's, he's he's the villain of the piece really he's he's the kind of representative of the state apparatus and um but they, he gets another line later on where they, where they've kind of gathered together a lot of local teenage boys and girls to be part of this you know this I guess choir yeah, song like and dance troop, troop yeah. yeah um and they're all kind of singing and he kind of points out that one of the girls looks a little bit too dark her hair's a bit yeah, too yeah. dark and then when you, when you eventually cut to the girls it's like she's the most Jewish looking girl in the group and yeah, it's sure. like. Ah, he's a bigot and he's an anti-Semite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's going back to that kind of 
thing that was in Ida about anti-Semitism in Poland even after the war. It, it just... It, doesn't go away yeah sure so if we just talk for a bit about how the characters are introduced because i guess that's what's going on early in the film again it's it's this kind of perfect mixture of of writing and casting where you instantly get each character from the very first scene that they're in the original trio yeah i mean victor doesn't really have to say anything it's just his kind of look of worldly wise kind of seen it done it is but also how dedicated he is to the work you know he's not one of these kind of cynics looking down on the peasant class you know Mm. from his his intellectual position he's very much interested in cataloging and recording these folk songs and being broad in the stuff that they scoop up so with lex backing victor sets up like a a theater song and dance troupe i guess to represent polish culture Mm. they Um, take over a stately home don't they it's pockmarked with bullet holes all (laughs) along the outside which is a really nice touch and uh, they audition local boys and girls teenagers um to sing and dance as part of this troupe and one of them is zula who we meet just prior to her audition and in just one exchange with one of the girls there you you immediately know who she is and what her character yeah, is she's right. kind of she's sort of blagging it a little bit isn't she she's a city girl and what they're really looking for is peasants from the countryside and i think uh she, she sort of talks her way into doing a shared audition with, duet, one of the, yeah, yeah, with one of the village girls who has a, a an old mountain song that she wants to sing for the audition and she's come prepared with a song from a russian film i think so like a film soundtrack it's kind of like a, mm. a hit of the day and the girl that she's talking to just says, oh, they they want it peasant style. So she sort of uh, hijacks her performance a little bit, doesn't she? Yeah. Although we do see them performing that same song again later on, about halfway through the film. Yeah. She doesn't seem sort of malicious. She's not trying to oust anyone. She's not trying to cuckoo no, someone out of their audition. But she is yeah, She's like... just manoeuvring herself into a better, better position to try and make something of it. Yeah. Um... She catches Victor's eye in the, in the audition. It's a really nice sequence. Again, you know, the other girl has a pure voice and I think goes through the audition quite quickly, but Victor latches onto Zula and just kind of gets her to do another couple of tunes and, you know, he's clearly besotted from the outset. Mm. And it's quite nicely um, underplayed how um, Irina sort of notices from very early on and um, isn't isn't jealous or scolding or anything, just sort of... She, she makes a note in her journal about the audition, but she's also making a mental note as well to keep an eye on those two. Yeah, that's it. There's a nice moment at the end of the audition when Irina says to Victor that Zula has a, a criminal record and she's a convict who murdered her father just to sort of add spice to the, mm. you know, to the, the introduction. <laughs> yeah. So we move quite quickly through the um, formation of this of this troupe, um, through the rehearsals and the preparation. And again, it's it's cut really nicely. It's just that every scene is, is the perfect length. And then when you move on, you move on. You know, it's a significant move forward in time. Mm. Um, and eventually they're doing their first shows. Uh, where's the first one in Warsaw? Yeah, Warsaw in 1951. There's a sequence where Victor and Zula are rehearsing. I think he's checking her range on the piano, taps a few keys and then gets her to yeah, follow. To, yeah. And that's when he asks her about her killing her father. And she has a really nice line where she says he uh my father mistook me for my mother so i used a knife to show him the difference yeah that's uh, <laughs> it's, really, it's a standout line isn't it yeah it's really strong yeah i found that was a really nice scene where you know we see that she does have talent you know she isn't just there on her looks you know she has a voice she can follow the range and we as we see the troupe improving we see her rehearsing doing the traditional dances and you know i I think it's important to show that mm. she is a talent. Oh, she's hugely talented, yeah. And then we have um, the first performance in Warsaw in 1951, um, which has my one of my favourite shots in the film. Is it Against the Mirror? It's Against the Mirror. So good, isn't it? <laughs> it's perfect. And the fact that it's not enhanced with a zoom or it's... it's yeah, that's it. You don't a... even register it at first. It's not tricksy at all. Mm. But as, as you're watching it and you let the shot kind of... You sink into the shot... You see Zula reflected and her eyes on Victor and you see um, Irina, you know, just water. she's like, oh, I've had enough of this or something. <laughs> she, she leaves. Yeah, she just kind of steps aside. But it's, it's a brilliant visual metaphor as well for her stepping aside. And yeah, then, yeah. You know. But then uh, Kashmerik steps in as well, doesn't he? And he's crediting Victor with being a genius. And, you know, I think it's one... Kashmirik, lots of praise with the party, you know, mm. this this whole process. 
I was really enjoying um, this first section of the film as well because I hadn't listened to kind of close harmony Eastern European music for a long time. There was, um, if you're of a certain age, there was a CD that came out in the mid '80s, which was very similar Bulgarian music. Okay. It was um, Ivo Watts Russell who used to run 4AD Records. Mm-hmm. Um, he heard, I think it was towards the end of a recording session um, and Pete Murphy from Bauhaus was around and was, was playing this this old third generation cassette tape mm-hmm. of these um, Bulgarian kind of close harmony traditional songs oh, yeah, okay. and Ivo just went mad for it and, and hunted down the originals and licensed them and released them as a CD oh, wow. like Les Mystères de Voix Bulgaria or something oh, right. okay. um, and it became like a as world music was like a fledgling genre at the time it became like a world music phenomenon there was a second volume released and then on 4ad and then there was there was um like touring shows for i think there's a touring show this this year doing the festivals with lisa gerrard from um dead can dance singing with them too it became like quite a big thing and i used to listen to it back then i haven't listened to it for years it's just lovely to hear that that kind of really dense vocals again yeah yeah sure yeah and i like all those uh the the big traditional dance numbers you know with them spinning around whirling around and leaping and jumping and stomping is definitely something you know it feels like very foreign to me to watch that stuff i find it quite exhilarating Mm. it's really joyful exhilarating music but then like perfect dramatic turn of the screw almost the immediate immediate scene following that is is a meeting with somebody senior from the state saying you know, effectively, as much as we really enjoy this, full yeah. of praise, but yeah, it's time to it's time to turn this into a propaganda tool yeah, and start writing it. songs about Stalin. Stalin, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like crop rotation or something, isn't it? Mm, which I honestly wasn't expecting. It was it was quite devastating to watch. Um, yeah, but then also it sets out the characters, doesn't it? So then, you know, we see Kashmirik in context. We know exactly now what his ambitions are. We see Irina's uh, integrity and her sort of reluctance to bend the troupe into something other than celebrating the traditional music. Mm. But we also see Victor silent. You know, he doesn't really go... Pragmatic yeah, Victor, exactly. just kind of, yeah, I'll see how this plays out. And then the next sequence is is them. It's sort of like proper Rocky Four moment, isn't it? <laughs> As they're performing and then you have this huge banner of Stalin going up behind the troupe. Well, again, it's that, it's that perfect dramatic economy you know in in a film that i can imagine which would be another half an hour 40 minutes longer you'd have battles and discussions behind yeah. the scenes and you'd have feelings expressed mm. in exposition but what's really going to happen is that yeah. they are going to do exactly yeah. and you what cut, the state says so. you cut to the banner of stalin being yeah. unfurled behind the singers as they're mm. singing it's it's absolutely yeah it's breathtaking yeah and structure and victor's there in his tuxedo you know receiving the applause playing the part yeah but you know i think what's clever here is that it it sort of belies his inner frustrations because we know later on when he uh, defects mm. that he's thinking about leaving and you know so i think maybe he's this scene where we're like oh he's just sitting on the fence maybe he's hedging his bets because he knows the closer he is to berlin maybe the easier it is for him to escape so now that things now that the dance troupe is running for the benefit of the state uh, the cultural benefit of the state and singing songs about Stalin. We get the scene where all the theatre troupe are dressed up in in uniforms. Yeah, now right. they've, they've got uniforms. The the school is more formal. Mm. Um, it has you know a proper sign above it. They uh, they swear allegiance to the state. Yeah, and this is the scene where, as I mentioned before, where Lech feels emboldened enough to you know to let slip a little anti-Semitic sentiment on yeah, the step. Yeah, yeah. talking about the dark-haired girl and yeah, and maybe they should dye her hair. <laughs> and then immediately following this, we get um, the scene of the lovers on the riverbank. Just it's a really nice intimate moment, isn't it? That mm. sort of is undermined by a, a truth that. Zula being a an ex-criminal she's been asked by Kashmirik to inform on Victor mm. on a weekly basis um and she she kind of confesses that but but says that you know she's not telling Lech anything that could damage him but yeah. she has to she's in that position because as you say she's a convict and on probation so she has to do as she's told there's a lovely there's a lovely little touch there's there's quite a few of them I noticed watching it again last night for the second time really nice bits of sound design um or or lack of 
the scene where they're you kind of see them in close up lying in the grass you would expect kind of this the sound of the wind and the grass and stuff sure. like that but it's it's just dialed down to silence except for their dialogue um and it's the same thing at the end as well where they're sitting um oh, okay. sitting on the yeah you know, on the bench mm-hmm. at the end of the film it's everything's absolutely silent even though you can see the wind moving the grass in the background yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's dialed right back it really focuses you on on what you're looking at i really like that moment where zula confesses to uh, ratting on victor it's there's a, something quite matter of fact about her delivery you know she doesn't have any choice but she wanted him to know mm. i don't think but, she thinks it's that big a thing yeah that's it it's just part it's of just because she, she's quite you know she's quite pragmatic and matter yeah, of fact and it's the mechanism of the culture at the time i mm. think that, which is so, so she you know she doesn't have her head in her hands there's no despair or betrayal it's like mm. you know this is what we have to do and Victor kind of flounces off a little. He huffs off, doesn't he? He walks off in silence. Um, and Zula, she says something, oh, I don't know what you're making such a fuss about. I could fuck you up big time if I wanted to. Oh, yeah. And then jumps in the river. And again, that jumping in the river, you know, you, you would expect, uh, you know, the hero to come and rescue her. And then when they, they cut to the, the shot of her just floating. Just floating down, down river, the river singing. singing. Yeah, it's really nice, really. And then, a, and then a lovely kind of cut just to them sitting by a fire that he's made to dry yeah. her off in silence, just, you know. There's just that moment of forgiveness yeah. is all you need to yeah, see. It's understanding. Yeah, it's really mm-hmm. nice. And then we cut to the um, trip to Berlin, which is quite a big deal. They've done well enough as kind of a cultural troupe to be to be toured around to other countries as representatives of Poland and Polish culture. That's right. And isn't Berlin the sort of uh, the place where all of the communist countries meet and show off all of their different cultural heritages and, you know, there's an overlap and a sort of... Is it pride in the communist? Is it is it kind of showing off to the west as well? Is it because it's on the border? Well, it's so you know? close, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think Berlin at the time, you know, lots of kind of people could cross the borders Fairly quite, easily, quite yeah. freely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was only really the the actual people, not the um, you know, the elite that were restricted. Um. So on a train to Berlin, and um, you get the first inkling of Victor, um, Victor's intent to defect, um, and Zula agrees to come with him. Um, she's quite insecure about it, though, right? She, she's not sure what her, who she would be. Well, in, I think in the West. And, well, exactly, and I think she's just beginning to enjoy some status as a singer with what she's doing. I think when it comes to the crunch a little bit later on, when when they're waiting to meet, hmm. um, I do think she's weighing up the fact that she's getting all this attention as as a singer. Yeah, you know, traveling. You know, it's, it's it's more than she's used to in her life. So, hmm. does she necessarily want to give this up? for you know something an unknown future in a completely foreign country yeah 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 it's a good point there's a really nice scene uh, on the train as they're heading towards berlin another uh, clever mirror shot with kashmirik addressing the the troop and it's he stood in front of a mirror so mm. we see them all reflected they frame him up perfectly mm. it's like one of those uh, collages made up of hundreds of faces it was around the point in Berlin that I started noticing a lot of the framings that I really liked because it's the whole film shot in kind of one three seven to one or four yeah. by three. Um, but within that, you know, a lot of films that you see in Academy ratio go for extreme symmetry, mm-hmm. um, whereas this one has a lot of kind of like diagonal compositions, things set at like forty forty five degrees. Yeah. So you know, there's for example the shot that kind of stuck out to me was when. Um, when Victor's leaving his hotel room. Yeah, yeah, that's really nice. He's walking along the the balcony and you can see the people in the distance. And all yeah. This. Yeah, it's really nice. And where, you know, I guess some people might frame it symmetrically or something, but he's just kind of, he's just angled off to the right yeah, of frame because yeah. things are, the perspective is leaning like 45 degrees mm-hmm. off into one side. There's a lot of really nice framings like that, which I was... Which I was nodding appreciatively yeah, yeah, yeah. at. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, all the choices uh, just feel really solid, don't they? Yes. It's a nice sort of cross-cut sequence. The defection, I think, because we know Zula's hesitant and we know Victor's committed. There's a really nice shot of him in his hotel room just before he sets off, and behind him there's a mural of an ice skater. So this idea that he's on thin ice, I think, is, <laughs> is there visually as he picks up his case and walks out. Just he does. He does get like two or three good kind of pensive moments on his own in a in a hotel room or apartment yeah, before yeah. he makes a decisive action, doesn't I mean, he? Yeah, he's a really great presence in the film. I think Thomas Cott. He's got a, a great soulful face, and you you kind of feel mm. you know 
his thought processes he's never just sort of blank is he it just feels like there's lots going on in his kind of his maneuvering and his emotions it feels like but he's terrific with his body language as well because victor's quite quite a, a, a quiet understated character you know he doesn't say a lot but immediately i mean i'm jumping ahead a bit in the story but there's there's a marked difference in his appearance and body language between when he's in poland where he's quite sure. confident and he's you know, assured of what he's doing in his place. But then when you jump forward a couple of years to when he's living in Paris, you can just see his, his body language has changed so much because he's, he's you know, he's working, yeah, but he's, he's still less, not... He's less secure. Yeah, he's less secure, less confident, and his bearing's slightly different, and he's yeah. a bit more disheveled. I think she actually says that to him at one point, doesn't she? You were, you were a different man in Poland. And we see him in Poland, tuxedos, straight-backed... Yeah, just, he's confident. He's kind of he's exactly well. He's a, he's an authority figure in Poland, isn't he? He's a teacher and a and a and a, yeah, a, a composer tutor and a composer. Conductor. Yeah, but in Paris, he's just another itinerant musician, really, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. But Tom Ashcott really, really sells it without having to explain that or make it yeah. clear in exposition or anything at all. It's just there in the character's bearing. Mm. Yeah. So we see um, Victor head to the border uh, with the French sector, which is where he's going to cross over from east to west Berlin. At the same time, we're waiting for Zula to join him, and she's kind of looking in the makeup mirror as Kashmarik finds her and says, "You know, come and meet." Yeah, and then she's being she's being touted around with the German officials and soldiers. Yeah, he's showing her off basically, mm. um, and she's certainly not enjoying it. But she's you know she's aware of the attention, and she kind of happily enjoys a, a dance yeah, with the soldier. I think she also knows that Victor's waiting at the border, so she can't really just mm. forget it. Not not now, anyway. But there's there's the weighing up between you know what what she's enjoying in life now and and stands to lose and mm. um and she doesn't turn up yeah <laughs> he crosses alone crosses alone into West Germany through the film's one lavish digital shot yeah, yeah. Um, you can spot her coming yes it's, it's a shame that no it's really it's really nicely done it's just you know it, it can't be anything other than that can it yeah 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 not without another half a million. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, what surprises me on second viewing was how fast we get from him crossing the border alone, a really quick jazz number, him sitting in a cafe in Paris, and Zula turning up. It's only a couple of minutes, but represents yeah, you know, a that few represents years. a few yeah. years. Well, that's and that's it. That's the economy of the film as well. Yeah. And there's you, you're never wrong-footed by it either. It's just like, yep, he's in Paris. This is some time later. He hasn't seen her for a while, and she turns up and. Yeah, well, I think because we had that cross-cutting sequence with them separated, the border crossing, musical number, and then straight back into a reunion. So in this love fest of a podcast, I have to say, in retrospect, after I'd first watched the film, I was a bit disappointed that the pace slowed down from this point on. And looking at it, sec- looking at it a second time last night, it's like the first half hour is, is just so perfect in the way it leaps forward. Yeah, you mentioned all the stuff that you, you're being asked to understand and all the characters and the relationships and the dynamics to get all of that with such economy is is breathtaking i i do find the next half hour of the film um which is all kind of a little bit more sedately paced it's their relationship in paris yeah i don't know if it's just because it's a downer overall you know watching their relationship disintegrate yes we have this brief reunion in paris which i think is just because the troop passing through um and there's a kiss in the street and then they're separated again and a year later victor has followed the troop to yugoslavia we see him get off the train i think think he was invited by lech oh i see yeah maybe that's right it's left unclear as to whether victor's gone there to 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 see zula or if he's i get the impression he was invited by lech so lech could brag about the progress they're making yeah and lech takes credit for the troop's success um and how they've refined the act to make it more popular and how huge it is now. And they're play, playing numbers in the native language yeah. to, to appeal to audiences. That's right, yeah. They've, they've incorporated a Yugoslav uh, Slavic tune into the repertoire, haven't they? And they, this is when uh, Zula spots Victor in the audience. Yes. And it th- throws the performance a little bit. And then during the intermission, he's hoisted out by the Yugoslav Special Police Directorate Police, or whatever. Yeah chucked on a train and sent back to uh, to Paris, isn't he? Tomasz Kot has got, again, I'm just, you know, playing the same furrow, but there's the scene where he, where he uh, is talking to Lech outside mm. the theatre where they're due to play in Yugoslavia. 
and again his body language there and his his characterization is just is spot on it's not what you'd expect i can imagine kind of a lesser writer or actor kind of giving victor you know kind of a a, a false a sense moment, of pride yeah. yeah a moment or you know allowing him to, but he's he's kind of belittled a bit isn't he he's he's yeah, does course. feel small because something's yeah and he's not part of the great state machinery even if you don't fully buy into it i think that there's something proud about being representing poland and poland's great history you know on the international stage and he's just out of that now it's one of his creations and he's just pushed to the edge mm. after victor's forcibly removed by the uh special police directorate from Yugoslavia chucked on a train and sent packing and he's he's pleading with the policeman uh, you know he's saying please she's well, the love they... of my life the woman of my life or something and they're like yeah sure yeah. and off he goes uh, yeah and then we, we cut back to um, Paris again where Victor's recording film music uh, and Zula turns up at one of the recording sessions yeah that's right it just comes through the door silhouetted backlit <laughs> it's a really nice sort of cinematic moment isn't it yeah, and then then begins their kind of their relationship together in freedom in Paris. Yeah, she's married an Italian, um, which has given her leave from Poland, and I think this is what happened to Pavlikovsky's parents' mother. I think she married an Englishman, which is how he ended up leaving Poland and being raised partly in in London, mm. Oxford, actually, I think. And now they've been reunited in Paris, um, you get a montage of, of a very brief montage, I must say, of, of good times. Mm. You get kind of a, a, a quiet walk through the city and a, a nighttime trip on a riverboat and a drunken dance and then some sex in his apartment. Uh, but then almost immediately we're on to kind of like the downward spiral of the yeah, relationship. Things start slipping from that point onwards. Well, they sort of get back into their old roles him as the arranger and composer and musician and her as the singer and he's trying to guide her new career as a parisian jazz club singer mm. what's what what do you think is at the heart of her dissatisfaction do you think she she misses poland or is she generally unhappy or i couldn't quite get a couldn't quite get a handle on it yeah i guess i mean there's something about after being under state control for so long to have the freedom if you don't know what to do with it you know i think that can make you feel quite insecure i suppose you know without any direction or structure or no it's, i know what you mean the, the structure of life everything being rigid and controlled well, and it was ordered and yeah i don't know i think maybe when she gets there you know victor is the person that she remembers but it, his position has changed in the world so you know he's gone from being somebody important and powerful to just another busker in paris mm. but but as you say she kind of um she doesn't like necessarily being told what to do i mean there's that initial disagreement between them about the translation of one of the songs she's yeah, singing yeah, that's it um and victor just kind of politely rebuffs any of her suggestions yeah yeah they're, and, it's like their common ground has become their battleground hasn't mm. it but she you know she doesn't it's not that she wants to be controlled or dominated she just kind of seems dissatisfied one way or the other i mean part of it maybe is that she was a star to some extent in mm. poland and and then she's nothing in paris and she has to start, has to again. start all over yeah but he's he's kind of all over her career as well, isn't he? And you know, controlling. I wouldn't say he's like obsessively controlling her, but you know, his influence is over every every aspect. Of yeah, her. I mean, out of necessity, he's he's the person who's kind of giving her her career yeah. in Paris. But she does kind of wrangle. There's that horrible exchange when she's recording. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and it's one and of those. He tells her you know, to believe in herself. Yeah, he says, "Oh, we've only got forty minutes. Don't, don't, don't blow it." And she says, "Oh, I'll, I'll, yes, all right. I'll give you what you want. It's, uh, you're never going to come back from that kind of yeah, yeah. situation." Well, also he says to her, "Just believe in yourself," and she says, "I do. It's you I don't believe in." <laughs> and you see him crushed in the booth. Mm. Do you have to say I didn't enjoy this section? I mean, it's could be purely because I like the characters and I don't enjoy seeing relationships fall apart. Yeah, definitely. But um, it did feel 
odds that the pace had relaxed suddenly for half an hour. You know, it, I did really, really like, and I could happily have watched the entire film if it was jumping around as as quickly and as, as you know, lithely as, as it has been for the first half an hour. Sure. Um, the fact that it slowed down so much, um, and it sort of became... It slowed down, but and it's looser as well, isn't it? Which I think is maybe just a reflection on where they are and how they're living. And I, it's partly to do with my expectation as well, because one of the reasons I was slightly reluctant to watch it is because I'm not a huge fan of black and white stroke, Paris stroke, jazz stroke sure, sure. things, especially yeah, contemporary yeah. recreations of it. And that's very, very much what the film was sold as. Yeah. I remember like my impression of the film was that it was the two of them being sort of like, you know, jazz stars and having a rocky relationship, very, very much like a watered down or less spicy version of what we actually get in the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and this this section of the film is, you know, what it was sold on. Mm. And it's the least enjoyable part of the film for me. I like it when it picks up the pace again later on and yeah, sure, starts sure. moving through their later life. But having said that, it's still very, very good. Mm. Um, I'm not knocking it, I was just enjoy it less than the first half hour yeah but i think you're right that there is something really uncomfortable about watching these characters that seem to have gone through so much to be together and once they're together the dissatisfaction and the sort of the friction between them yeah it's really uncomfortable to watch and you are kind of saddened by the inevitable separation that's coming you know it's really, it's really good though. It's really, it has a great deal of integrity. It doesn't play the. I mean, I know that um, that Zula does kind of try to provoke him into jealousy, jealousy by saying that you know Michelle, one of his French friends, fucked her six times in a night. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think that's true. I think she was just winding him up, and mm -hmm. she does try to enrage him that way. But it doesn't, you know, she's not. It doesn't play on any of those sort of the usual points that you get in this sort of drama where one is, you know one is unfaithful and the other one eventually no. finds out and the relationship falls but apart think, that way. I think Victor's kind of guilty of having her as, as his trophy a little bit. We see him, he takes her to the party and, you know, yeah, ditches make, her straight away for a conversation. And and then it exaggerates about her and makes up stories about her yeah, past to make her yeah, seem yeah. more interesting. Yeah, she meets uh, Michelle for the first time and he knows all about her killing her father and and this thing about her dancing with Stalin, you know. It's just, yeah, and that she married an Italian duke, apparently. Yeah. It's all these exaggerations that... Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, and he says at the end, like, oh, Edith, Edith P.F. was raised in a brothel. I just wanted to make you more interesting. <laughs> You know, again, it's he's commoditized her, mm. and I I think with Zula, there's something about her, um, you know, being raised under the control of the state, but having all of that, not freedom, but you know, once she's defined her place within the machinery, I think she's quite quite free to a certain extent. Yeah, and I think not having that when she gets to Paris, she's sort of pushing back against Victor, trying to define her yes and she's she kind of confronts his ex lover and he's very know. very casual ex lover of his that mm. yeah who's uh yeah the, the but who has poet. a sort of fingerprint on the work that she's trying to do so it feels like she, she hasn't defined any of her parisian reality herself it's all been under victor's guidance what, what I'm trying to say is that under the state, she had more freedom than she has under Victor's control in Paris. Yeah, well, as, as you were saying before, once you, once you know the boundaries and once you know, you know, once you know the terms of, of how you can live, then it's easy to live kind of freely within that. Yeah, yeah. But when everything all, you know, you have just the, the, the crushing... It's a tricky one, isn't it, to sort of encapsulate. There's a really nice, like, relationship moment for me just before he kind of whacks her in the street, that thing where he gives her the records that they've recorded together mm. and he says oh our first child and hands it to her and she ditches it in the street and says it's a bastard but he by doing that he's also dismissed all of that work that they did in poland you know all of that mm, true know, troop and all of that stuff which i think is at that point still kind of her crowning achievement i think we see her earlier on looking at the record and you can see that she's recognizing that it's something of value something important and i think she actually takes the record back to Poland because Kashmirik mentions it like 10 years later, yeah. doesn't he? He talks about re-recording it. The scene immediately after the party in Paris where they all go to um, Le Clis, the jazz jazz club that uh, that Victor plays at. Um, and he's he's still sh schmoozing his um, 
you know, his new French friends and she's left drunk at the bar on her own, um, bored out of her mind. Um, and then Rock Around the Clock comes on. She immediately perks up and, and gets up and dances to it. Um, and it's really nice. It's got one of the kind of the longest moving shots in the film because yeah. a lot of it's, you know, f- apart from a, a lot of kind of carefully composed moving camera shots where you know exactly you know, it's, it's, it's kind of handheld and it's a bit freer and everything yeah. um, it, it, you know there's still a nice bit where, halfway through the shot where she's dancing with some guy and then his girlfriend comes over yes. <laughs> there's a really nice sort of musical uh, exchange there as as she reclaims her boyfriend and mm. sends Sula back into the throng it's just really nice moments that let you know this isn't improvised you know it's still meticulously yeah. crafted I, I really enjoy that despite it being um a trailer moment I can, I can just yeah. imagine way more emphasis placed on that scene than it deserves in the trailer sure but um yeah i, I really like kind of the way the camera just kind of came to life and mm. and was allowed to move for that scene um and i guess we're coming up to the final breakup really after this aren't yeah we? so i think in terms of the actual uh narrative structure after this we get the recording studio with all the sort of bitter resentments they argue in the street Victor whacks Zula after she says she's fucked his friend six times in one night. And then I think they both know that that's the end of that chapter, basically. Yeah. And, I mean, she's gone then, right? We don't see her again until... We don't see her again. The next, we just cut to to, um, Victor waiting outside Michelle's apartment to go and what he thinks is confront them. But then when he goes in, bursts in. She's already gone. Michelle says, you know, she's already gone. She's gone back to Poland. And then... I think the scene immediately after this is him, he's grieving, obviously, so uh, he's playing at a jazz club and he just hijacks the performance. <laughs> Do you remember that? And he's just yeah, like yeah. smashing away on the keys and the rest of the band are just looking at him like, what are you doing? Yeah, the saxoph- saxophonist got, got an amazing, like, what what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Pissed off look. So, yeah, really embarrassed for him. And then I think he's straight into the consulate, isn't he? Asking if there's some way for him to get home. Yeah, um, the consulate are kind of incredulous that he would want you know mm. kind of confides you now i mean why would you want to leave this place why would yeah, you want yeah. to go back and then you get the standard kind of well you could stay here and you could spy on your friends for us mm. or it's quite a nice uh moment this because i think we're set up to believe that if he does a little bit of uh informing then he'll be able to return home no problems, no questions asked, and instead he's in like a labour camp, isn't he? He's in, yeah, he's in, working in a in quarry for fifteen years. Yeah. yeah, he's been sentenced to fifteen years for spying for the British. Yeah, I think it's just a trumped-up charge in order to get him in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So you think he's found an easy way back to Poland, and it's the opposite. You know, his head's been shaved, his fingers have been smashed. It's not. I, I did like the way that that's not. Um, made explicit you just you kind of glimpse it in things yeah, oh that looks a mess little fingers facing the wrong way isn't yeah it? but you don't get a kind of a lingering close-up or you know no, a, no. A, you know this a shot for despair exposition. you know he hasn't got his head in his hands sobbing about the loss he's just happy to see zula when she visits him mm. and she has that nice uh moment it reminded me a little bit of the uh the getaway have you seen that the steve mcqueen uh, yeah McGraw, where she has to work out what to do to get him out of prison and in this one, she ends up married to Kashmarik. Yes. Having a child with him. Having a, a, a really miserable child. Yeah. Clearly the child of a very unhappy marriage. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, there's a really nice... So, we cut, I think, from the Gulag, where they, they've sort of been reunited, and she swears to get him out to her on stage in a black wig, performing some sort of, like, uh, Spanish... Yeah, cha-cha-cha yes, type number. Yeah, yeah. Which shows that maybe Poland is relaxing a little bit as well mm. um and she looks really happy on stage and is doing the sort of finger pointing one two three four and then she gets off stage she's staggering she's so drunk crashes into a table just throws herself around victor when he when he turns up at the the concert and just ignores her child and ignores her husband Kashmir yeah. at this point and you get it's not made clear because a lot of times when you cut forward in time you, you sometimes get a, a you know an intertitle telling you the year yeah even though it's not made explicit, I think a few years have passed now because she's she's a lot heavier and she's yeah he's she has his, a young child his hair's grown back as well yeah I mean it's I think it's you know probably a good four or five years later since they met in prison I don't think it's she got him out of prison instantly but yeah the time has taken its toll on on her as well yeah so uh, I think it was fifty nine nineteen fifty nine he's in the labour camp and in nineteen sixty four he's out all right. 
Yeah, so I, I think there is a title card somewhere around there. And you can see how much she uh, hates herself for marrying Kashmirik. Mm. I mean, and then that's it, really, isn't it? it? Just sort of. Well, yeah, but then it takes. I I wasn't expecting it to end the way that it did, and I did. I do really appreciate now the way that it sets up that that church as kind of like a a, a place of of solace and yeah, quiet, yeah. and um, and then returns to it mm. later in the film. And I did spot another little possible Tarkovsky reference. Okay, okay. When this is, it's the very last shot. It's when they're sitting on the bench and get up to go to cross the road. Mm. It stays on the field of grass, um, and then you just get there's a there's a shot in Tarkovsky's mirror. It's quite a long take where um, the mother character, who's it's an autobiographical film, semi-autobiographical, and the mother character represents his mother, and she's mm. talking to a soldier who's just passed by. Um, and then they leave the frame, and you get this amazing kind of wave just pure luck captured it on camera this this kind of wave of wind across the grass oh, comes yeah, okay. sweeping towards you and there's um similarly there's one of those just after they leave oh, shot okay. which i don't know if it was intentional and and slipped in there in post or just a, a happy accident but. yeah 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 it's a nice sort of uh, closing sequence isn't it from the moment she comes off stage and they're in a bathroom together after she's yeah, been she's, sick yeah she's she's be sick so he has to see her and they they just both realize that they need to escape from this life and in, yeah in every it, sense that's it and instead of uh absconding again and trying it somewhere else they they just decide on eternity and mm. go somewhere quiet and kill themselves well again you know I, I think practically the options had narrowed down you don't really you don't really think of it when you're watching it but you realize now the options are narrowed down to she can't leave the country again he can yeah. never leave the country again mm. they don't have those freedoms that they had when they were in the position they were in before mm. it never worked when they left poland so i mean it's closed down to to this situation but it was still surprising surprising um and satisfying it's not often that a double suicide <laughs> leaves you feeling <laughs> joyful i think it's possibly as well that i wasn't expecting this complete narrative closure yeah, yeah. i think because you know you you know that it's a story of a love affair that goes on for years and years and mm. years you don't actually expect to get that closure you expect them to rubbish comparison but annie hall they eventually separate and oh, yeah, okay. go on and leave live their lives knowing they're better off without each other yeah yeah but in this case yeah it is properly concluded yeah yeah and a really nice sort of end shot as well that you know how do you deal with two people dying together just have them sit on a bench quietly and then Leaf one frame. of them says to the other, let's let's cross over, the view's going to be better from over there. Mm, from and the they, other side. Yeah, they just exit frame and that's it done. Mm. It's such a, a, a beautiful ending, so simple. I don't know. I tried to introduce some dissent um, into this podcast by flagging up how I slightly less enjoyed <laughs> the middle half hour than than the rest of it but it, I, I think it's been pretty much a it's a love fest it's a love fest um, I mean the film has got uh, plenty of awards for its cinematography especially which I think deserved um, it's been nominated in director and best film and foreign film categories and you know BAFTAs yeah. Oscars Critics I, Choice you know, I it, sincerely hope the director of photography of this um, gets a, a, a big broad career out of this it's crazy his next film is a charlie kaufman film oh that's good um a, a good kind of western breakthrough movie mm-hmm. it's crazy because he's f- he got nominated uh he was one of the two dops on ida mm-hmm. he got nominated for an oscar for that that was his first full feature oh, wow. um and then you know nominated for this one as well yeah um, yeah this was so beautifully crafted mm. visually just uh, Every picture, you know, is a is a delight. You know, it's one of those cliches where you could just pause it and yeah, enjoy every frame. In fact, when I was when I watched it the first time, it it, it did feel in a very very good way. Like because each scene is so short and precise, it did feel like you know carefully flicking through a beautiful book of 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 prints. Yeah, right. right. It was really really nicely put together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was, um. So yeah. So next time we choose a film to watch, we must have something to argue about. Maybe we should just choose a film we despise. Yeah, yeah. For me, this was a really nice kind of discovery, flicking through um, Amazon Prime and just looking for something that I'd heard of but hadn't seen. And you know, it has such a beautiful poster image, the black and white. I just I watched it and was really, really surprised and moved. And you know, I just hope more people discover it that way. You know, I hope that it continues to find an audience, not just that sort of 
core festival audience and you know i think it's done like 20 million in the box office so that's pretty healthy um but i hope that that's not the end of its discovery i hope like it continues to reach an audience well i think it's it's because artificial eye distributes it in the uk and they um curse an artificial eye and they everything they do ends up on netflix in pretty short order oh, yeah, okay. so it'll be on netflix it's I do find it's interesting when, because this and Roma, oh yeah, um, were sort of in competition. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of discussion, you know, because they both have beautiful black and white cinematography, yeah, yeah. and they're both autobiographical, and they were just both kind of being talked about at the same time sure. and compared. And it's interesting that um, they both ended up sort of in the same position. I mean, Roma got a mild theatrical release. I got to see it in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ended up on on demand on Netflix. Yeah, and I then, think a lot of people watch Roma on Netflix. I think they timed the release with the Oscars, and mm. you know, I think it was a very clever, calculated yeah strategy. But in terms of where where you know where we stand now with its position, it's it's it is still you know another film on Netflix. Mm. I kind of I think, I think that wave has come and gone and it's just, you know, another film that's there for people to watch in the same way that this is, you know, it's been through its theatrical release, it's made a bit of money um, and it's just kind of, it's sitting there on Amazon Prime and then eventually Netflix as well. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's that's its place now really. I mean, it's not where it deserves to be, but sure. it's, it's like, you know, it's another video on the shelves at the virtual blockbusters, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess. Right, I mean, it doesn't have maybe the, oh, it sounds terrible, but like the brand awareness of Roma, which I think was well marketed, you know, and deservedly so. I, I really enjoyed Roma. Mm. But I feel like this is a bit like uh, the thin red line going up against Saving Private Ryan, isn't it? You know, it's <laughs> it's a shame that people will watch, if you had to choose one foreign language black and white movie, you'd choose Roma and maybe you wouldn't see Cold War. Mm. I think that's a shame because... Uh, it's it's such a great movie. Yeah. 